This, this is how routine gets to you, but I was pulling up my notes this morning to print some things out, and I went to the Hebrews folder. <laughs> no, we're not in Hebrews anymore. Uh, please turn in your Bible with me to Proverbs chapter 1, and we are going to begin uh, a journey through the book of Proverbs. Um, think about think about how relevant this is, and, and this, this led in part to choosing this book, but... Um, in less than two months, you and I are going to have to decide how we vote. And we look at candidates, we look at leaders on the ballot, and we say, what am, what am I supposed to do to honor God in this situation? Can I honor God? You know, some of you are asking, can I honor God at all? Do I bail out, not vote at all? Well, well, Pastor Terry is going to answer all of our questions in his brand new series that he's starting today. So, so more news at 10 for that. But, but the, 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 what we need to answer that question, the Bible calls wisdom. Okay? Some of you are caring for aging parents right now. I know because I talked to one of you yesterday about it. And you're having to make decisions about, um, nursing care and medical insurance and managing the day-to-day with others, the sibling part of that where you're trying to work with siblings and some of you have great siblings, you always get along and some of you have some not-so-getting-along sibling relationships and, and what do you need to navigate that situation? You need wisdom, right? Some of you have children in the home and you're trying to bring them up as the scripture says uh, in, in, the, in the instruction, admonition of the Lord, and uh, there are day-to-day challenges of educating them, of discipling them, of teaching them the gospel. Things come up. You have to make choices about entertainment and sports and friends and, uh, you know, where did you hear that? And, and things that they do, things that they say, things that they're exposed to. And you're trying to raise uh, a godly young man, a godly young woman in a perverse sinful, dark, wicked world, and and we're going to learn this in Proverbs, that's not their biggest problem. The biggest problem is they are foolish in their hearts. They're, they're born that way, as we all are. How are you going to navigate the, the challenging waters of parenting? The answer is we need wisdom. Do you see this? Your financial issues, marriage issues, parenting issues, life issues, work issues, family issues. We, we, we so want to know how do we walk with God. Lord, if you would just tell me what to do, I would do it. So please turn your Bible to uh, First Elections, chapter 2. Uh, First Elections. Oh, you know, it's not there. First Elections is not a book in your Bible. So we, we can't go directly to God's Word and say, okay, here's who I should vote for. Here's how I should think about this issue. Uh, think about issues of ethics. Think of all the things going on. Abortion, euthanasia, uh, right-to-die issues, um, in vitro fertilization. All, the, all these, all these um, technologies, a lot of them are from the medical world, that now allow us to do things. Um, transgender anatomy reassignment surgery. How, how do we think about those things? And the answer is we need wisdom. In fact, uh, we're going to take a little bunny trail off of our verse-by-verse study through Proverbs at some point. We're going to do a whole series on Christian ethics 
And we're going to talk about all those things. We're talking about transgenderism, homosexuality, euthanasia, abortion, right to die issues, war, all that stuff. Because it, it comes out of what is wisdom and how do we apply our faith in the biblical text to these contemporary issues. But, but we need wisdom. And, and this book was written for the sole purpose of... Actually, it's actually a parenting book, really. Uh, that's okay. We're, 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 never, we're never too old to learn, right? So, so we, can, we can fit into this. But it, it was written to train young people to walk in the wisdom of the Lord and to avoid both the foolishness intrinsic in their own heart and the foolishness that they are going to find in their friends and in the world and entertainment around them. So I, I hope that, that you come to this study as I do uh, not as an opportunity to just go through another biblical book, although that would be great, just, just to glean principles uh, from God's Word. But we come to a book that, that literally is so terribly relevant for the time in history that we live in terms of contemporary issues, but just issues that are common to life, um, about parenting, about marriage, about uh, uh, caring for your own parents, about relationships, about entertainment, about financial decisions. All those things are here uh, and if you're if you're the type of Christian that says, Lord, I, I, I want to obey, I'm committed to obey, just help me to know what to do. There are just some situations that are complicated, and Lord, if I'm being honest with you, I just need to know how to think about this or how to make this decision. And if that's you, then you're in the right place because this is that's what Proverbs is designed to do. Uh, the title of our study, and uh, it's it's always hard to title a study at the beginning of the book because. I don't know what it's about yet because we're not done studying it. Uh, but a, a stab at it would be very simply fear the Lord and live wisely. That, that's, if you could boil the message of the book down to one sentence, it would be fear the Lord and live in his wisdom, live wisely. Now, there are literally hundreds of aspects of that that we're going to develop because you may say, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to live Wisely. Well, we're going to figure that out, and the book of Proverbs is going to tell us that. But before we do that, we have to do what we call setting the table. Setting the table, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We want to learn about some background of this book and uh, how do we study it. Um, this is a book, can I just tell you, th- this is a book that is, I mean, you can fall out of bed and apply this book. It, it is so applicational, but... We need to tap the brakes just a little bit on that because it is so applicational, but what we don't want to do in, in the ease in which we seem to be able to apply it, we, we don't want to forget that this is a 10th century B.C. document. And if we don't forget, like any other book in Scripture, that there is a historic context, there is an original audience, there is an original author, it's written in a different language, if we forget all those things, we are going to be prone to misinterpret the book. And I'll I'll give you a couple examples of that. And and I think we're more prone to misinterpret this book because it's so terribly easy to apply. Okay? So with me on that, let's talk about some background. Okay? Are you with me? Are you ready to go? Ready for our, our study, our launch, the book of Proverbs? Okay, the author, this is the author of the book right here. You didn't know we had a picture of him, did you? Okay, that's an artist's rendition of the author of the book, which is, are you sure? Well, look at Proverbs chapter 1. Do you have that there? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 
1. The Proverbs of Solomon. There you go. Okay, so he's at least the main author. Uh, flip over to chapter 10, verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. Are you seeing the theme? Flip over to chapter 25. It gets different here, though. And this is cool because the book itself actually tells us how it was compiled. The Proverbs of Solomon, 1-1. The Proverbs of Solomon, 10-1. We get to 25-1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. So... Some of these apparently were written by Solomon himself. Some of them were from the men of Hezekiah. Uh, and, of course, Hezekiah would have been who? Who's that? Well, it says here he's the king of Judah. We can start there, right? We just start with the context. Yeah, he, he's one of the kings of Israel that, that comes later on. Uh, he, he's, not, he's not contemporary with Solomon, um, but... It says the men of Hezekiah had access in some way to these Proverbs of Solomon and they transcribed them. They, they wrote them down. Maybe it was an oral tradition. Maybe it was just not in a form that was easy to access. So they, they transcribed them and verses 25 and following are those Proverbs. So they're still from Solomon, but they're transcribed through uh, the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Okay, uh, turn to chapter 30, verse 1. Uh, the words of Agur, the son of Jekaiah, the oracle. And uh, so we'll learn a little bit more about uh, Agur. We don't know a whole lot about him uh, historically, but um, we'll, we'll see. There's a little section here on Agur. And then if you flip the page to chapter 31, the, king, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. And uh, it's possible that that's a surname for Solomon or perhaps um, uh, the title of another one of the kings of Israel. But in any case, you see uh, the bulk of, of Solomon or of Proverbs is made up of Proverbs of Solomon. And uh, we have these two other men that uh, play a minor role, uh, but nonetheless contribute to the book there. Okay, so um, so there's our authorship, uh, Solomon. Now, now why, why is Solomon um, uniquely qualified to write a book on wisdom? Because he's the wisest man... Ever. And this is where you just have to stop and think about this, okay? Whatever you think about wisdom, whatever that is, and we'll explain that in a minute, this is what the Bible says is the wisest man who ever lived. Now, do you want to pay attention to him? Would that be kind of a good thing to do? And, and for those of you that might be new to the story, I, I want to show you why he is the wisest man. And, and you may not know the background of this. So just hold your place in Proverbs. Turn back to, to 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3. That is where you would turn to in terms of the historical books of the Bible if you wanted to read about the reign and life of Solomon the king. Um, and you guys remember uh, Solomon was one of the sons of David, King David, uh, through Bathsheba. And... Um, uh, it's uh, uh, so he he ascends to the throne following King David, and uh, there's an interesting little account, um, and uh, we we will read this here. Uh, 
Um, well, let's just start in First Kings chapter three, verse uh, three. It says, "Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except, except." <laughs> He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Solomon, and, and maybe we need to do this sometime, Solomon is a great character study to just watch a man who had so much, who was given so much, and yet like, like, uh, like great men and women of the Old Testament uh, can be led astray by garden variety temptation, just like you, just like me. And um, you remember Solomon wrote uh, a couple of books. He wrote... Proverbs, right, that we talked about. Uh, what are the other two that he wrote? Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, uh, as the name implies, the Song of Solomon. And it's interesting because Ecclesiastes sort of chronicles the spiritual journey of the man Solomon. And, and we see historically he started off very well. He made treaties that he shouldn't have made. As it says here, uh, he continued uh, the pattern of... Um, uh, what's that? Y- yeah, he he um, he did not remove um, the practice of sacrificing burning incense on the high places, and the high places would have been um, uh, altars set up to pagan deities. And there's a historical background there. Solomon's real downfall was women, though, and uh, we learn from uh, this text that uh, he had. He had a thousand women who were either his wives or his concubines, his, his girlfriends, if you will. And, um, and that was his undoing. The, the Bible says that as Solomon went on in those relationships, his wives who were from other religions, other peoples, other countries, led his heart away from the Lord. So it's a very, it's a very sad story of a man who started off well, uh, was given this wisdom, fell into temptation, his heart was led astray, and then we read, and then of course Ecclesiastes, what happens in Ecclesiastes? In the very last uh, years of his life, he comes back. And, and I believe that, that the journey of, uh, of Ecclesiastes is he repents and he concludes after, after the experiment, so to speak, of, of trying to find satisfaction in life in every other place other than in the Lord. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. Uh, he comes back in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and he says, uh, when it all comes down, this is what matters. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Because uh, that, that is the only path to joy and satisfaction in life. So anyway, very interesting life. And we'll talk more about his life as we go on. Uh, Proverbs was probably written... Uh, earlier on in his life. Okay, so so you're back in 1 Kings chapter 3. So um, uh, he loved the Lord and, and God honored him. And um, watch how this developed. Watch how this develops here. Uh, verse 6, Then Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you has reserved for him this loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is to this day, meaning him. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in my uh, your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So give your servant an understanding heart 
to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of you? I I missed the most important verse there. Uh, God asks him a question in verse 5. He asked Solomon, Ask what you wish me to give you. So here comes the king. God is pleased with him. and He comes to him in a night dream and says, Blank check. Anything you want. And he says, I'm humbled to be on the throne, but I'm naive, I'm immature, I'm a child, I need wisdom. Verse 10, and it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, because you have asked for this thing, meaning wisdom, and have a- and not asked for yourself long life or riches, you have nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold... I have done according to your word. And behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one, here it is, there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all of your days. And then this point. If you walk in my ways keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. So we see a man who started off young and humble and amazed at God's position. Can you, can you imagine literally God walking into the room and saying, I will give you anything you want. If you want to know the remaining residual depravity in your heart, answer that question honestly as I do. And he says, make me wise, because these are your people that I'm called to lead. And God says, since you did that, not only am I going to give you wisdom, I'm going to give you everything else. And uh, the inspired commentary says, there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. There's been no one wiser than Solomon. All right? So with that in mind, turn back to Proverbs. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Before, um, before you go there, before you go there, hang on. Stay with my notes here. So Solomon was given special wisdom from the Lord. And according to the text, if we just keep reading in, in uh, 1 Kings, this is uh, before we leave 1 Kings, um, chapter 4, verse 32, uh, the author of the book of Kings, who uh, obviously worked in close proximity with Solomon, understood uh, the nature of this. Uh, Verse 29 of uh, 1 Kings chapter 4. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and great discernment and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Wow. And Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan, the Ezraite, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mehol. Those were like... uh, I guess the um, you know the Einsteins of the day, right? And his fame was known in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke three thousand proverbs, and his songs were one thousand and five. And then it goes on to talk about his breadth of wisdom. You read in Ecclesiastes, and you recognize this was not just a man of spiritual wisdom. This was a guy that knew everything about everything. 
I mean, I mean, he would have cleaned up in jeopardy. You know what I mean? I'm just one of those guys that just knows a lot about every subject. But of course, that's not that's not the main point. The main point is that God gave him spiritual wisdom, and that's what this book is about. And we get to look over the shoulder of this wise man and learn from him. Now, when was this written? It was written in the 10th century when Solomon lived. The second, uh, well, he wasn't the second king of Israel. He was actually the third king of Israel, uh, Saul, David, and then Solomon. And and then it was edited and compiled in the 7th century. Remember, Hezekiah's men uh, came and and, uh, transcribed some things, and they probably put it at that time in the form that uh, Proverbs is uh, currently in uh, right now. And then uh, you'll know this if you've ever read Proverbs. The first ten chapters read like a lot of other chapters in the Bible where there's context and flow. But chapters 11 to 31 have less context. They seem to be more random, just verses here and there and everywhere. And um, so uh, we'll see when we get to that part how we're going to tackle that part of the book. Now, there is one more additional point of background, and that is the audience. The little phrase, my son, occurs 22 times in this uh, book. Uh, For example, we see it uh, right out of the gate here. Uh, If we look down at chapter 2, verse 1 of Proverbs, my son, if you receive my sayings. And uh, I can't help but stop right here. We'll we'll talk about this a lot more. But um, if you are a father or if you are a parent... Uh, particularly fathers, but but it certainly applies to moms and dads, uh, whether you're uh, a single parent, whether you've uh, uh, active spouse in the home, uh, or whatever your, your situation, this book is written by a parent and to a great degree for parents also. Solomon is writing uh, as a father imparting wisdom to his son. And, and the only, we'll talk about, there, there's so many places we're going to see that go. But, but here's, here's the big idea at this point. If we are parents, it is our job and role to be engaging in our children and seeking to disciple them and shepherd them and bring them up and train them in the biblical wisdom of the Scriptures. That that that, is, that 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 point shouts out of this book. Um, this book is going to say that that foolishness is bound up in the heart of children, and it is the parent's job, by God's grace through the gospel, the the, the gospel conduit of parents, to address that foolishness, and to raise them to be men and women who see their need for a Savior, they put their faith and trust in Him, and then walk in the spiritual wisdom that this book unfolds. So, so this, is, this is a book that, that is a call to parents to be able to do that. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you know what, uh, Keith, that's great. Uh, my, parent, my, my kids are 22 or 35 or 45 or whatever. And you know what? Th- that's okay because many of you have grandchildren. And uh, we can't develop it right now, but everything we're going to talk about today applies to spiritual grandparenting also. So if you're in that season of life, you say, I'm not a parent yet, or I don't have any grandkids, or whatever. Well, learn this wisdom yourself. Be a wise person. That's the call of this book. Come and be a wise person. And then go find somebody shorter than you, younger than you, 
Maybe somebody that lacks a dad in the home or lacks a mom in the home or they're being raised by grandparents or a guardian or something like that or, or, or maybe they have a wonderful family. Come alongside and partner, as it were, spiritually speaking, with the parents to build into them uh, in the things of the Lord. And so thankful for many of you that already do that in, in, for the children in our church. So uh, blessing my children and, and many children here. Okay, so that's a little bit about the background of the book here. Now, let's talk about the nature of Proverbs, because Proverbs will get you into trouble. Oh, will Proverbs get you into trouble if you're not careful. What is a proverb? It is a short, memorable saying that conveys a nugget of truth. That's what it is. It's a short, memorable saying that conveys a nugget of truth. It is a literary device for you English majors. A proverb is a literary device and Proverbs as a book is one of the genres of biblical literature, meaning it is, it is one of the books of the Bible that has a unique type of literature. You say, for, for all you science people are going, genre, literature, what is all that? I slept through that. Okay, so what, what that means is when you read the newspaper, you're reading a type of content that is different when you read the instruction manual that comes with your vacuum cleaner. Okay, because they're meant for very different purposes and they're written in very different ways, aren't they? Got you with me? Okay, different types of literature, different genres. The proverb is a type of literature and, and so that's, that's really what it is there. Now, biblical proverbs are always true, but listen, they may not be comprehensive or exhaustive on the subject. So, for example, lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. And you say, well, that sounds great, but I know some very rich people that are the laziest sluggers I've ever met because they inherit it all or something like that. And I know some people that work their tail off just to make ends meet, and they are diligent. They're working three jobs to provide for their, their kids. You know, their spouse ran off or you know, some uh, passed away, some difficult, heart, heart-wrenching situation, and they're working like crazy, and they're, they're barely, barely putting the food on the table. So, so, how, so tell me how that can be true. And the answer is you have to think about the nature of the proverb. That one proverb is not all that the Bible says about wealth and poverty. In fact, the Bible is going to say elsewhere, it is the Lord who makes rich or makes poor. So you see, we have to take what this verse says, not in isolation, as just one verse. It's the only thing that that, that the Bible says about it. But we need to take it and then bring all the other principles that the Scripture says, and now we have a comprehensive picture of how to understand rich and poor, for example, as as uh, one aspect of that. So in order to get the comprehensive picture, we must take into account all of the Proverbs as a whole, and, and I would say even beyond that, all that the Scriptures say. Does that make sense? That's how that verse can be true even though we see exceptions. It's true, but it's not all there is. When we look at the whole picture, we recognize it contributes to the picture, but it's not the whole picture. Now, another thing you have to recognize is parallelism. Parallelism is the dominant characteristic of Hebrew poetry. And again, I'm going to freak out all you science majors, but this is a book of poetry. We're going to study poetry for the next several months, maybe years. Does anybody want to leave? You will not offend me if you want to leave at this point. But um, I, I, 
Oh, man. I, the things I used to do to get out of English projects and poetry and, oh, man, the nightmares. Um, and then I got saved. And one of the things that God did in my heart when I got saved is I had this thought, if God reveals himself through a book, then I better learn how to read. I better, I, I better learn how to like to read. And I wanted to read when I came to know the Lord. I wanted to study the Bible. And then you get to these books and you go, whoa. Um, poetry? The mo- one of the most exciting classes I took at the Master's Seminary was, um, it was actually a, a, a class on studying the Psalms, but it really was a book about Hebrew poetry. And it was awesome. I love Hebrew poetry. And I'm a former recovering engineer, if you can believe that, Right? I love Hebrew poetry because it is rich. It is, it's like, and you know this because you you love the Psalms and Proverbs too, don't you? Why do you love it? Because when you read didactic literature, just kind of telling the story or a letter or something, it's good, it's great, but it's black and white. And you read poetry, you read the Psalms and the Proverbs, and it is color. It is 16.7 million colors of significance. And it's... It's transformative in the presentation. So, so if you will stay with me, I will teach you how to interpret Hebrew poetry so that you can benefit even more from this book. But, but good things ahead there. Don't, don't hang in there. Don't freak out. Um, uh, we're coming, okay? Now, the other thing to do is remember, interpret the meaning within the cultural context. Like any other book in the Bible, we interpret the meaning within the cultural context. So, like, for example, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 8, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. What's that saying? It's saying if you get wealthy by interest, you're doing something bad. Now, just put your hand up uh, if you uh, are into mutual fund. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. Um, okay? If you benefit from interest, if you have a savings account, a savings account, that's interest-bearing. Is that saying that God's not happy with me because I am putting my money in a savings account, getting interest, I'm investing, I'm trying to do things to, to, to wisely invest my money? Well, no. But there are some people that read that and make that conclusion. And the reason is they totally abandon the biblical context. What's the biblical context? The biblical context is this is written by the Hebrew king under the authority of the law of God in the theocracy of Israel, which means all of the Mosaic law is the law of the land. That's the binding laws of the nation. And one of them was that the Israelites were not allowed to do that within their own ranks. They were not allowed to uh, increase their wealth by interest with their fellow countrymen. Okay, And if you go back and read Exodus 22 and Leviticus 25 and, and those verses, you say, okay, well, all he's doing is echoing the Mosaic law. Okay, We are not the nation of Israel. We are not in the theocracy. And we are not bound by... And you guys understand that this is very important. This is a civil law, not a moral law. This is not God saying, if you get interest, you're sinning. No, no, no. It's a civil law. 
Just like we have civil laws that say there are certain financial investments you can make and certain ones you can't make. And, you know, you have to be this age if you want to pull money out of your 401k. And if you pull it out before that, we're going to penalize you. This is the civil law, just like in any other country. This is a civil law that it's really being referenced here, okay? So, again, we, we, we have to read it within the cultural context. It's not a prohibition against investing. Now, how many feel better now? You feel better? Okay, good. And we want to resist the temptation to spiritualize or allegorize difficult sayings. We're going to get to some of that, but we want to apply literal, historical, grammatical hermeneutics. That means we interpret the Bible in its plain, normal sense, just like we do in any other book. We also want to recognize this very important thing. And there, there, are, there are, I'm sure, thousands of people that do this every day. They try to read the Proverbs to gain wisdom without any thought of a relationship with God. So, so here, here's the point right out of the gate. This book is going to say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Which means, if you do not have a relationship with God, if you are not walking in reverent trust of Him, if He is not... The, the center point of your life and your desire is to honor him, then nothing in this book is going to help you. You say, but I can learn some neat things here about communicating, about making godly friendships, about avoiding uh, wrecking your life in three dozen different ways. And there are people, guys, that try to rip the God who gives the wisdom out of this book. They want the wisdom of God without the giver of the wisdom. And um, that's why, that's why uh, the psalmist says, the fool says in his heart, there's no God. So let's not, let's not try to learn wisdom apart from God because that is, according to Psalm 14, the ultimate act of foolishness. You see what, I mean? see what I mean by that? We don't want to just take this as a book of morals and wisdom. It is, it is wisdom that grows out and only grows out of a relationship with the Lord. Okay? Now, we can look at the, look at the uh, first few verses here and let's learn what is the purpose of this book. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. So we can see several purposes there. In verse 2, the purpose of this book is to learn godly wisdom. In verse 3, to live wisely. Do you, know, do you see that there's a difference there? Look up for a second. Fill in the blank and then look up for a minute. Okay, this is important. You can know all sorts of wisdom and be a fool. Not trying to step on your toes, but that's what this is saying. You can know wisdom and be foolish because it's not just to learn godly wisdom, it's to live wisely. And there's a, there's a world of difference there. You know, there, there are 
there are medical doctors who tell people this is what you should do for health, and they don't do it themselves, right? And, and that's the same kind of kind of principle here. You can know wisdom, you can give other people wisdom, but that's not the goal. The goal is: do you walk as a wise, godly man or woman walking with God? Okay. Number three, to train young people in wisdom. Did you hear that? To give prudence to the naive, to youth, knowledge, and discretion. And you know what that means? This is like, like the, the basic starting point of parenting. Children do not automatically grow up to be all that God wants them to be. They don't. And uh, there was a season of parenting back in the mid, early, mid-20th century that understood that the role of parents is to actually do things in the lives of their, their child's lives, to, to tell them no, radical things like that, uh, to tell them right from wrong, to train them. And then about the midpoint of the 20th century, uh, there's a wonderful historical development all this, but basically, um, largely through the influence of, of child psychology, Society was told, don't tell your children no. Don't ever tell them that how they feel is wrong. Don't ever limit the expression of some emotion because that will scar them mentally and, and emotionally forever. So just take your hands off the rein. The, the way to child health is to just take your hands off the wheel and let them become whatever they're going to become. And guess what? Those children have grown up. And they're running the world today. God says children do not automatically become all that God wants them to be. In fact, if you take your hands off the steering wheel of parenting, your child will go the way of his nature or her nature, which is foolishness, away from God, walking in the wisdom of the world instead of the wisdom of his word. So the purpose is to train young people and to understand the meaning of Proverbs, as we're going to see here. Understand the meaning of Proverbs, because some of these are hard to understand, and we want to to learn from them and and learn what they mean. All right. All right. So here's the challenge. Listen, here's the challenge. Look at verse 5. The challenge of Proverbs is this. A wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Here's the challenge. Do you want to be a biblically wise person? Which is another way of saying, do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be mature? Do you want to make good decisions? Do you want to exemplify the character of your Savior? Do you want to make the most of your time here on earth? Do you want to maximize your life for the glory of God and the benefit of the gospel? That's the challenge. He says right here, a wise man will want to do that. Do you? It's an invitation, guys. It's an invitation to come and learn. We get to look over the shoulder of the wisest man who ever lived, who walked with God, who knew God, who imparted this wisdom, and we have the opportunity to do that. Okay, now there's different types of wisdom very quickly, and this is important. When we talk about what is wisdom, what does that word mean? Well, it can mean, first of all, a skill like natural skill or learned. Okay, it's football season just started, right? And we, we've got this on display every Saturday, every Saturday night, every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night at your local high school. 
you, you, you have to be um, really, really having your head in the ground somewhere to not see skill wisdom because just turn on any college football game and you will see feats of great catches and strength and plays. and uh, um, uh, Anyway, so and usually that's not the meaning in Proverbs, okay? Wisdom, we might say that person is wise, they have skill, but that's not what we mean in Proverbs. Then there's also experiential or worldly wisdom. This is like common sense, uh, study, intelligence, life experience that leads to making good decisions, learning from our mistakes, things like that. And this type of sort of experiential wisdom is found in the Proverbs. And we'll see it along the way. But that's not the dominant meaning of the word wisdom in, in this book. The dominant meaning of the word wisdom in this book is spiritual wisdom. It is the ability and practice of perceiving and responding to the circumstances of life according to biblical principles. There's your definition of wisdom. It is the ability and practice of perceiving and responding to the circumstances of life according to biblical principles. Now, th- that's the technical definition. You want the real easy Sunday school definition? To live wisely is to live, live like Jesus. It really is. We, and we'll see this. Jesus personifies biblical wisdom. He, he is wisdom in the flesh. He is God's wisdom in a human being. He is he's the God-man, right? He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. So don't get caught up in the technicality of this. this. This is a call to come and be like the very Son of God. Okay, so here is my Proverbs reading challenge. Uh, we have a good-sized class here. That's great. I'm glad you're here. If you want to stay, you have to take the Proverbs reading challenge. Okay, i just kidding. I would really like you to do this. I will not uh, quiz you on this or, or ask you to turn in your homework or anything like this. But um, I would strongly encourage you, if you're going to be in this class, to commit to one of these two things. Number one, read one proverb every day. That's one verse from the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. Today is September 11th, which means you open up to Proverbs chapter 11 and read one verse. takes you five seconds. Now, if you're doing it right, hopefully you think about it for more than five seconds. Okay? I I spent a whole year... Uh, several years ago, I spent a whole year in my quiet time and just read the book of Proverbs over and over and over, reading the whole chapter every day of the month through that. You want to talk about a rich study? You want to talk about and, and what was cool? Why we did why we did that? Um, it's like that's a great time to pick Proverbs you want to memorize. So it's a great way to, to memorize Proverbs. These are great verses to memorize because they're they're short and to the point and good. And you ready for the advanced the advanced challenge? Read a whole chapter of Proverbs every day the chapter that corresponds to the day of the month. Now, why do I say it is advanced reading a whole chapter of the Bible today? I hope not for people at Grace Bible Church. I hope a chapter a day is is pretty normal, okay? I say advanced because I know all of you are reading the Bible. You're, you're following our church's Bible reading plan. You're following some other Bible reading plan or something that one of the studies you're involved in is doing. And I don't want to derail you from that, okay? So so please don't keep doing what you're doing there. But I would like you to consider adding to your regular routine one of these two things because it will help you as we interpret this book together. Okay, are you up to the challenge? Do you want to come and be wise? And, and like I said, that's, that's, not, that's not a clinical exercise. It's a call to come be like the Lord Jesus who, who was. I say Psalm is the wisest human being that ever lived, right? Obviously the Lord Jesus being God 
uh, is, is the, the ultimate example of wisdom. So let's come be like him. Let's learn from this study. Let's have fun while we do. And uh, may God change us by his grace along the way. Uh, Father, thanks for the start of a good study today. And we are eager uh, to learn from this book because we know, first of all, that in our nature we are foolish and we do not automatically become all that you want us to be. Uh, and secondly, Father, we believe that in order to be faithful Christians in this day and age, we have to have your wisdom. There are so many challenges, so many opportunities, so many decisions to make, so many um, opportunities for the gospel and ministry, and so many of these things are hard. We, just, we, we don't know what to do. Lord, would you give us wisdom? We, we remember what uh, James says in James chapter 1, that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously and it will be given to him. So, Father, we pray, would you pour out your wisdom on us that we, ought, we, we might be like the Lord Jesus Christ and we might make decisions that would bring you glory and draw many people to the gospel. Would you do that? And would you meet us here each week to benefit uh, from this wonderful book. In Christ's name, amen.